If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inks, the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. This week, I have Joe DeSimone, co-founder and CEO of Carbon, which became the most valuable 3D tech company in the world with a valuation just shy of $2.4 billion. Founded in 2013, Carbon made its first splash with Joe's TED Talk, which has been viewed over three and a half million times, called What If 3D Printing Was 100 Times Faster? Prior to Carbon, Joe spent over 20 years as a professor at UNC. He's issued over 200 patents and was awarded the National Medal of Technology and Innovation by President Obama. How incredible is that? Welcome, Joe. I'm so excited to have you on my show. Thanks, Alexa. Nice to be here. So, Joe, I just want to start with the basics. Uh, For everybody that's listening out there, can you explain what Carbon does just for the average person who's not that well-versed with 3D printing? Sure. And maybe it might be useful to put it in context. So when people make uh, three-dimensional objects, typically, not, not 3D printing, but typically what happens is you make a cavity carved in steel that you fill, you heat up a plastic <clears throat> into a molten state, you let the liquid fill the cavity, you allow the liquid to cool, to solidify, and then you open up the cavity, and that's how you make something. And whether it's a part for a car or a medical device or a midsole for a running shoe, that's how things are made. What we figured out is how to use light to craft objects without using molds or castings. And, and we invented a process that uses pattern light to grow solid objects out of a puddle of liquid. Uh, so we basically can uh, make very complicated things that are unmoldable. We think it was a software control chemical reaction to grow parts. And there's a great video online that you can see how we actually do it. Uh, but it basically rises up out of a puddle. We were inspired by the Terminator movie and that we can actually craft complicated things that we pull out of a puddle in a really rapid way out of great materials. I mean, that is what you just described sounds so incredible and also so forward thinking. We have to just start with the beginning, Joe. Can you just tell us a little bit of like, where did you grow up? How did you end up so interested in 3D printing? How'd you end up here? Well, I I grew up in in the suburbs of Philadelphia and uh, went to public schools there, went to uh, undergraduate uh, school in undergraduate college or sinus college in the Philadelphia area. And actually at her sinus, I was a chemistry major and I got exposed to polymers there. There was a faculty member there who got his PhD at Lehigh. He loved polymers. It was like one of the few undergraduate liberal arts colleges on the East Coast that had a polymer class. And, and you know, faculty, student mentorship happened and I just really fell in love with the field and then went down to graduate school at Virginia Tech, which is one of the biggest uh, polymer science programs in the nation. And uh, there's nothing like studying what you love. 
and it was really great and and uh, went down there and thought I would be going back to the Philadelphia area to work in industry. But this faculty position opened up to the University of North Carolina and and I interviewed and they hired me when I was 25 to be an assistant professor. And all I had to do was start a polymer chemistry program in a top 10 chemistry department. And and I did that with a couple other folks and it's uh, it was really a great run there. And then from there, how into 3D printing? What, what was that path like? Well, so, you know, when you teach polymer chemistry and organic chemistry to undergraduates at a big university like Carolina, you get a lot of pre-med students, you get a lot of pre-dental students. And uh, one of the you know favorite segments in my class was talking about 3D printing. And, uh, and it was at a time when there was an increasing excitement about desktop 3D printing had just been introduced and a lot of hype. And But boy, you go and look at any of those parts and you're like, wow, that's a disappointment. I mean, the parts are typically look more like trinkets. They're made out of materials that are brittle. Uh, they're not very sophisticated. And, you know, and I was doing research in the area of microelectronics, high-end material science, and it was really a big gulf between the two fields. And it was out of that frustration that we decided to dig into this area and see if we can't make it better. And what year was that, you know, before 2013 when you launched Carbon? Well, you know, I think I was I was teaching about this since uh, since 2001. Yep. Uh, that's when I actually got introduced to Invisalign and what Invisalign uh, did, and I did some consulting work with them uh, back then. But then we, you know, I think the rage in 3D printing started to happen in 2011, 2012, and really started to get pretty disenfranchised. And we started working on this right away. And actually, the ideas came along very quickly, and some some concepts we had worked immediately and and we're off to the races. So what was the moment when you said, all right, let's go make this a company and let's go and, and run full steam ahead and do carbon only? So my former postdoc was uh, with me. You know, we wanted, he, he approached me actually about, because we had launched several companies and he said he had an idea for, uh, that he wanted to launch a 3D printing company. I said, very cool. I said, what's the idea? He said, I think we can build printers cheaper than everybody else. And I said, that's, Alex, that's a cool idea. It sounds more like an activity than an idea. What's the idea? And he said, no, well, that was it. So I said, well, let's go. Did you go look up any patents? And I knew the answer before I asked this question, and he and he hadn't. And we went, I said, go look up these five keywords. And he came back, and there was like 400 patents in the last three years. And I love patents. I think patents drive ideation. And so we started looking at every claim, and every claim was layer by layer. You know, 3D printing, I think it's a misnomer. It's actually 2D printing over and over and over again. And we said, well, why don't we work out here and do it continuously where nobody was? And we almost used that as an idea to drive a whole new concept. And then we tried some things, and once it worked, when it didn't work, it was clear. When it worked, it worked. And as soon as we got the right window and the right technology for it to work, you know, that night I called uh, two different lawyers, and you know, we were active in starting companies and patents. And one was a patent lawyer, and one was a a business uh, lawyer, and we. We launched a company and filed a patent immediately. Wow. So 2013 gets started. Since then, you've raised $680 million for Carbon. How did you approach pitching for such a deeply technical vision? And can you help explain the CLIP technology in a nutshell? Yeah. Well, CLIP stands for Continuous Liquid Interface Production. And you know that visual of an object coming out of a puddle of liquid like Terminator is really the, the orientation of how we grow objects. And so it's a reservoir that holds an organic a liquid that's reactive with uh, with light. But at the bottom of the of the reservoir is this very special window 
that's not only transparent to light, but it's also permeable to oxygen. And oxygen inhibits the photochemistry. That's a fundamental tenet of polymer science. And and we were able to combine the two to allow us to grow parts very, very quickly, 100 to 1,000 times faster than traditional 3D printing. So we're going really, really fast. And you know, when you start companies, what you basically do is you outline what are the biggest risks or the biggest hurdles that you need to overcome in a very systematic way. And, and again, this was sort of my fourth or fifth rodeo on starting companies, and I taught about entrepreneurship, and it was really just putting into practice what we do. And, and one of the key things was building a team, another one's building a product, and the other key one were technical hurdles related to could we have a material that wasn't just a brittle plastic? Because uh, all light-based processes to that point, for the most part, generated brittle plastics. And we said, look, we're going really fast. If we could tackle this last hurdle, then not only could we go really fast, but we can grow really fast and make a finished product. And that became a technical challenge, and and we knocked that out at our, you know, within our first two years as well. Explain a little bit of how you knocked that out. So again, I am definitely not a scientist, but I think for everybody that's listening, the idea that you can grow very quickly out of a puddle using light technology, and it sounds like some mix of oxygen, you're able to grow a product. But then the problem was it was just a brittle plastic. It would be too thin. Give us a sense of how you actually made it into something that could be thicker, more usable. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I love the way you teed it up. So I'm a polymer guy, and I I want to be a polymer gal. <laughs> you're, you sound like a polymer gal. Um, if you just use light alone, there was no way around making brittle plastics. And so some of the best polymers that everyone's familiar with would be something like an epoxy glue. Yep. And you go to the hardware store or a supermarket and you buy some epoxy glue. And the first thing you notice, it comes in two tubes, usually with a common plunger. And once you react the two liquids, it starts forming a great material. Well, nobody in 3D printing went down that path to use reactive liquids because the printers were too slow. Because we are printing really fast, we knew that we were in the game, that we could use reactive liquids, which no one had ever done before because printers were too slow. We're going fast, we knew we can get into that, but reactive liquids by themselves are not UV curable, they're just reactive. So what we did is we changed the chemistry a little bit so they would be both UV curable and maintain a reactivity and we call that dual cure. Now all of a sudden, we could mix two liquids, put them into the printer, print something in minutes as opposed to hours, and now we have something coming out at the end that could be a running shoe or a medical device or a part for a car. Wow. So I fully get it now. It was the reactive liquids that you could now, again, you're using liquid, you're going really quickly so that you can make something. And you literally, at the end of that entire process, could make something like a shoe or a medical device. Yeah, that's it. And um, yeah, so... Then it's like scaling that. So those are the two, those were the big hurdles, right? That's what we did on on series A and B funding. Yep. All under stealth mode. Yep. Filing our IP, assembling a team, and now going from a prototype printer to a product. And uh, and so we actually unveiled the prototype printer uh, on the stages of TED. And we decided we're going to publish our results in, in the most prestigious journal. And it got in and actually got on the cover. Uh, and then we pulled off what I would call as an entrepreneurial hat trick. We had our, the, the moment I walked on the stages of TED, our pa- the embargo on our paper and science was lifted and our website went live for the company all in the same moment in time. 
and uh, that was the beginning of, of carbon. I'm only like laughing and smiling because I'm, I'm getting to look at your face and you're like, you know what, I pulled off a, a hat trick. 3.5 million uh, viewed TED Talk and the cover of Science Magazine, all while we went live with our company. And that was all on the same Wednesday. <laughs> was that like a moment that you probably can't top in your career if you look back? What was it like being you that day? Thank you for all that. But it, what it really was was a team. And, and, you know, when we practiced the TED Talk, TED Talks are up in Vancouver. We had to get our printer across the border with chemicals and didn't think about that. And, you know, it, we were doing some, you know, we're learning as a team. And so, you know, it's nothing like pulling it off. And then there was a lot of nervousness. What if the printer didn't work and the print didn't work in the middle of a big audience? And, you know, and then Larry Page and Sergey Brin were in the audience. And, you know, that triggered our Series C funding with Google Ventures and, it was really an amazing moment in time and small group of us. And it was pretty exciting, but you know, still you don't think how, you know, we knew it was big. We knew it was special, but you really didn't appreciate all that. We didn't have our business model in place and all those things. And that came later and it really turned out to be an important combination thinking about the business and the innovations on the business model as much as the technology. So let's just quickly fast forward. Can you give us a sense of, where you've been able to scale that single printer that you now made mainstream to today. Give us a sense of what Carbon's able to produce. Well, I mean, now come full circle and we are now in full-blown manufacturing. And that's, you know, that's really amazing. I was just down in uh, Santa Clara this morning and we're building out our advanced development facility, which is a fully automated cloud-based data centric factory. And, um, this allows us to scale things and uh, it's pretty amazing. And so now we're, we're scaling Adidas running shoes, we're scaling uh, Riddell football helmets, both personalized helmets and stock uh, helmets. Uh, we've got car parts that are scaling. We, got, we did a bicycle seat, a saddle with Specialized and another one with Physique. Uh, and then we're scaling you know, dental products and uh, making dental models for aligners back to Invisalign-like products. But one of the most exciting for us is dentures. You know, making dentures hasn't changed in 120 years. Wow. And we have a digital way of doing that, and it goes from like eight chair-side visits to one chair-side visit. It's a better product. This is the world's first FDA-approved 3D-printed denture, and you could argue we should do nothing else but dentures. It's such a big market. Uh, it's such a huge impact on people. There's 60 million Americans that cannot afford dentures. I'm a firm believer that tech is a is a key solution to solving the the healthcare cost crisis that we're in, and and so we can have you know giving people access to good healthcare, and so it's a range of things. We have a bioabsorbable material with J and J for advanced surgical applications. It's just covering a wide gamut of products. I want to ask a quick question, which is if I think about fast forwarding five years, ten years in your business. You are literally at the front row seat to automation. How do you think about your manufacturing future ahead of you? And what if you, again, you're sitting at the front row seat to this party. You fast forward 10 years. What are your predictions? What do you think the world's going to look like? Well, we actually believe exactly what you just said. And therefore, we got a tremendous responsibility and opportunity. For example, a lot of the polymers used today are single-use plastics. And our team is devoted to thinking about things holistically. Imagine the day that you now order your Adidas running shoes 
uh, and then you bring them back to the store and we convert those midsoles back to uh, liquid and can reuse it. Uh, or you're, instead of dental models, like Invisalign products today, that aligner is made on a platform, on a model that replicates your teeth. It's used for 30 minutes to make the aligner and typically it's landfilled for you know 500 years. And it's used for 30 minutes of manufacturing. The ability of turning that plastic back to liquid and reuse it. So we've got a holistic view you know, 3D printing as practiced today is only an $8 billion market. And that's half polymers, half metals. It includes the printers, the materials, the software, and the parts. Injection molding is a $330 billion marketplace. Wow. And injection molding actually holds back product teams. If you look at, you know, we're powering a lot of autonomous vehicle companies today and and, you know, you, you need eight times the number of sensors to control a car than what you used to need. And, yep. You need electrical connectors, you need sensors, you need brackets. Every one of those needs new parts, new concepts. And if you're injection molding these, then it typically takes you six to 12 to 18 months to get your hands on a new injection molding tool just to pilot your first parts because it's expensive to make parts. All that goes away. And ultimately what happens is we are accelerating product teams. We allow product teams at companies to make and design amazing products, but to do it now. Make what's next now, dramatically improve the speed of innovation. And if every product is an increment of innovation, you no longer need 12 to 18 months to do it, but you can do it in days and weeks. We think that's going to accelerate the economy. And we have a vision of you know, new waves of growth, uh, new waves of innovation doing things like high strength, lightweight materials for more fuel efficient cars, drones, aircraft, new medical products that are bespoke, tailored to your anatomy. You know, the teeth and oral care is just the beginning of that. Wow. Uh, all sorts of new products that, that we're very excited about driving. And with that, we'll be right back after this. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Um, I want to quickly switch gears to you, which is, have you always been an entrepreneur? You know, I like working on practical things. And as a professor, my group always did what I would call as translational science, science that was very utilitarian in concept, had function, you know, solving problems. And I always enjoyed that. And I, that's why I went into polymers, because polymers, unlike other aspects of chemistry, there's a real connection with society and people's lives. And I've always enjoyed that aspect. But, you know, back when I went to graduate school at Virginia Tech, they were great at this, but you know, starting companies was not in vogue and was rare back then. And it sort of happened and went into high gear during my career. And a lot of that was done in partnership with students. So if I think about you, you've obviously had an incredible academic career. You were a first generation college student. 
How do you think about just the role of education in your startup experience? Well, you know, I believe education transforms lives. Uh, you know, I'm certainly an example of that. You know, my father was born in Italy and, you know, was a tailor and, you know, we couldn't afford even to go to a scientist. And I, you know, worked a couple of jobs and while I went to school and, but, you know, for me being in a liberal arts environment, you know, it was, it was hard. I was, I was more practical science oriented and to sit through all these English classes and the great books and do it in a small classroom. I felt like, you know, you couldn't hide and you really, you know, people, faculty there really pushed you, pushed your ideas and pulled ideas out of you. And it was a very challenging environment and, and one that, you know, was transformative, frankly. And to see, you know, the things of a liberal arts education about analysis and argument and statistics and aesthetics and beauty and connections where there may not be obvious, all those things coming together uh, with a technical background or foundation, I think was a really powerful milieu with which to go to school. And boy, you know, I'd be a really great student today compared to when I was an undergrad, uh, it would be fun to be able to go back to school. I'd make even more out of it than I did. I totally, I feel you on that. I absolutely understand that sentiment. One question I want to ask, because you are such a, an incredibly rare person in that you're a powerful professor turned entrepreneur. What do you think about those two roles, which are very different, makes you a great CEO? Well, you know, innovation and thinking about a different future, you know, leading with the long view in mind, respecting individuals. My graduate students, I graduate 80 PhD students in my career, 50% were women and underrepresented groups in the sciences. And, you know, role that diversity is a fundamental tenet of innovation. And, and to put those things into practice shouldn't stand out as distinctive, but it, it actually is. And that's a little bit of a sad statement, but, you know, we've been able to really cultivate uh, great values of respect, excellence, and teamwork uh, that, you know, newer can be better, uh, that there's a, there can be a better way of doing things and can really be transformative. So to me, I think a lot of those tenets are the same. Fundamentally, what's different, you know, the level of accountability that you have as a CEO uh, is nowhere close to anything you have as a faculty member. You know, I, I walk into the parking lot and all I see are car payments and mortgage payments and people left great companies to come work for our company. And, you know, that puts a pit in your stomach. And a lot of people are counting on you to make a difference and make the right decisions. And we got a really engaged team. You know, I, I foster dialogue and our engineers and different parts of our company will weigh in. It's like, are we, are we sure we're doing this and going into this market? Why this market now? And, you know, when you get 400 people that are engaged, that understand where we're going, that are as passionate about things that you are, it's really, really powerful. I mean, I just had a moment where I was like, I can I can feel what it would be like to work on your team, sitting at kind of the, the front of the future. Knowing that you are in a really unique spot, you are at the helm of, of a company that is literally rewriting the future of, of products that we will buy and use. Where do you get your innovation from? Well, hey, look, there, there are more smart people outside this building than inside this building. And, uh, you know, we have a tool that allows people to turn their ideas into a physical object. Yep. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's real. I'm really inspired by all the innovations. And so, you know, fostering connections, I had the coolest day yesterday. I had two of our current customers 
who've never that were never worked together before that are in disparate markets. We launched parts with each of them separately. Their two CEOs came in yesterday with a new concept bridging between the two companies. I was like, holy smokes, this is like pretty amazing connections. I, you know, I think there's one level of talking about what we do, being clear about our values so people are drawn to us, you know, so that some of the best talent, that we're destination for some of the best talent. They know it's a safe zone. They know they can engage. Being open and collaborative and fostering an open innovation, you know, Adidas, calling all creators mentality. We have a, you know, that we've we're aligned. We got great partners. You know, we have a no asshole policy that's clear for people. So we're really gathering the right people and the right customers. And it's it's powerful. It's just really just listening, reading, talking to people like this that are making connections, and that gives us, you know, a strong wind in our sail to be clear about our values and to be confident about where we're going. It's helpful. So given just the fact that you've seen just such a tremendous arc over the the last five years of what you've been building, what's the one pinch me moment that you had outside of the day where you were, you know, cover of Science Magazine and TED and launched the company? Was there a pinch me moment where you were like, wow, that just happened? Well, you know, I have them a lot now. You know, yesterday with these two customers coming together, that was really pretty interesting. I was surprised that the email came in with both their names on it. But, you know, I... I didn't appreciate, you know, the power of a business model to support a technology as much as I do now. You know, we have the very first piece of manufacturing hardware that's ever gone out via subscription model. We do that because it future proofs our customers from obsolescence. They don't have to worry about, you know, the printer being as good as it ever was on day one and then it's it's going to be old soon. We're, and, and then the realization that we are staring at three decades at least of innovation using light to make things. And how do you get people to join you in that journey to be part of the revolution if they're held back by this tendency of, of uh, obsolescence? And so the fact that the business model can actually drive innovation, in fact, in the physical world, I don't know how you can get into a rapidly innovative area without a subscription model. And so that realization was it was a big pinch me moment. And now, you know, we we're managing the business as an install base. You know, I just went on a loading dock. I got 14 printers on a loading dock getting loaded in a truck right now that are going out. And as the install base grows and grows and we're in 14 countries and you see the innovation that's happening, you see the excitement, you know, we got an 89% MPS score. Wow. Uh, which I didn't even know what MPS was until we got into this. And <laughs> and everyone, there's a cult-like following uh, to what we're doing and customers love us and love our products. And it's a humbling moment. I'm really proud of the team. I'm glad we had some of the best investors and we don't have a lot of the shenanigans that are happening at other places. I want to shift gears just to you. So you've been through all the different rodeos. Uh, This isn't the first time that you've been at the helm of something really important. I think you have a lot of wisdom and perspective, and you can just hear that in your voice about just the, the real weight that you take to the job that you have. How do you do it? What keeps you grounded? Is it exercise? Is it routine? Are there things you swear by that keep you on the tracks? Well, it's, you know, it's a lot of stuff. I certainly try to, you know, exercise I treasure and it's, it's, uh, you know, going home and spending time with my wife and, you know, if something really special happens, 
some acknowledgement of uh, me or my students and all. You know, first thing happens, we get home, she makes me go out and pick up the dog poop in the yard. And, you know, there's an element of grounding, uh, uh, you know. And so she's, uh, we're high school sweethearts and we've been at this for a long time. It really takes a team. Oh, God, that is so cute. That is adorable. <laughs> sweethearts yeah. that's wonderful I, I didn't know you were going to go there but uh <laughs> it's uh but having you know my kids are involved in the company a number of other folks have their family involved and so there's a family-like culture and responsibility and you know people don't let family members down and we try to strike those values so it's, it's a combination of stuff i got it that's incredibly helpful so just last few quick questions here um, if you're looking at a week ahead of you and you're really excited, so it's Sunday night and you are looking at your schedule and you find, wow, I'm really looking forward to something. What kind of meeting is it? What, what's happening at Carbon? What kind of, what is it that gets you really fired up? Well, it's customers coming in, both prospective and current customers and talking about their plans and how we can help them. You know, we seem to be on the bus tour of Silicon Valley now too and you know, it's not uncommon. In fact, we could do it every day if we're not careful, but uh, 20 or 30 executives from a company in Europe or Asia or India coming in and wanted, you know, heard about us, learning about this. You know, manufacturing's a big deal and it's been practiced an old way for 7,000 years, literally molding and casting and, and have a digital way to fabricate things. And so there's nothing like having people on my schedule that are trying to do something really special, that get digital, that all of a sudden, once you see this, you can't unthink it. And it's fun to share that story, especially now to show off our factory and what products we have. And most of all, it's I'm at these meetings, but I see our team presenting and I see how great they are at presenting. And, and the fact that this has got traction uh, that, that's what I enjoy seeing on my schedule. I love that. And I'm sure because they come in and they see with their own eyes what your business can do for their business. And all of a sudden you see the future. And I think that that's pretty, I'm sure, pretty exciting for you and, and very gratifying, especially since you've been at this for a few years. It's not like the company's two years old. You've really, you know, this is the culmination of decades of your effort. Last just question here. If there's one startup that we should know about that's not carbon, that you are excited about, so something that's come across your eyes of innovation that you're like, wow, that's really exciting, what is that? Given that I'm sure you're seeing some unique things in your orbit. Yeah, you know, I, I am enthralled with what's happened in biology. And, you know, I was on the board of scientific advisors for the National Cancer Institute and, and uh, you know, I see all that's happening in molecular biology and the fruits of uh, molecular medicines and precision medicines. That's probably the most exciting area and vaccines associated with that. But, you know, I, I am enamored with data and hardware. I'm wearing a new data acquisition device, a little ring from O-Ring, and uh, it's taking all sorts of data, you know, pulse rates, got an IR camera, it's got a, a motion sensor, sleep habits, and it's automatically uploaded to my phone. and you know, I think it's such a better concept than a watch. And I'm, I'm enamored with that little company. So I'm interested in a lot of different things. I certainly love all the vehicle developments and it's fun to watch everybody moving into space and, and all those things. So it's a, it's a range of things. I got a very wide range of interests. I love that. Uh, last thing before we go, if all of the people listening to the show can do one thing to help carbon go faster, is there anything that we should be doing? Go look at all the injection molding machines 
and think about how archaic that really is to make things. And imagine if you could craft something with light. And, you know, making things with light is, has powered Moore's law for 50 years. That's pattern light in two dimensions. We're using pattern light in three dimensions. And it's a really powerful way to crafting unmakeable things. And I, I think once you look at injection molding tools, you'll see the foundation of 7,000 year old approaches for molding. And you can't look at that anymore and not see how archaic it is and how much it's really holding you back. And, and then you think about that and you think about a warehouse in a cloud and imagine if every part was alive digitally with a QR code in the cloud and post-market surveillance and performance and, and then the ability to recycle and quantify your recyclability, that whole thing is going to flip and it's fun to be helping to, uh, to move that along. Well, Joe, Truly, what you are doing is actually remarkable. Um, it has been so fun to have you on the podcast today and such an absolute pleasure. Thank you for everything that you're doing. And for everybody that's listening, if you want to learn more about Carbon, head to www.carbon3d.com and please join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel wherever your podcasts are offered.